0: An enthusiastic and warm hello to all our listeners. This is a new episode of our 2021 BMJ, a sexually transmitted infection podcast series. My name is Fabiola Martin and I'm the BMJ STI podcast editor. I'm consultant physician in sexual health medicine and senior research fellow at the School of Public Health at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. Today, we wish to discuss the reported impact of HIV infection on people who are hospitalized with COVID-19 infection by reviewing three publications. Professor Anna Maria Giretti will inform us about a UK-based prospective observational study. Associate Professor Paddy Sentongo will discuss the outcomes of an international systematic review. And finally, we will discuss the WHO July report addressing this very issue. A warm welcome to you both, and thank you very much for making time for our podcast. Anna Maria, you're talking to us from London, UK. Um, Could you please inform us about your scope of work?
1: Thank you, Fabiola. Yes, I'm an academic clinical virologist and editor-in-chief of the BMJ journal Sexually Transmitted Infections that is hosting this uh, podcast. I will say that researching the way HIV interacts with other viruses, um, in a nutshell, has been the the focus of my research. And and really, I'm I'm happy to be here with you today uh, to talk about uh, HIV and uh, SARS-CoV-2. It's a very important topic, and um, looking forward to the to the discussion.
0: Fantastic, thank you, Anna Maria. Paddy, you're talking to us from the chocolate country, Hershey, USA. Correct. What is your area of expertise?
2: Uh, thanks, Fabiola. Um, I'm an assistant professor at the Center for Neuroengineering at Penn State University. I am a physician scientist as well as Anna Maria. And I focus on infectious disease epidemiology, and particularly on the global health scale. And so when you talk about infectious disease, that includes uh, conditions like what you're going to discuss today, the COVID-19, and also the HIV um, as well. And I'm excited to be part of this talk.
0: Thank you so much, Patty, for making time. So, Anna Maria, in October 2020, the journal Clinical Infectious Diseases published a peer-reviewed original research prospective observation study. Could you please tell us how your study came about and is it possible to summarise the findings for us?
1: Yes, I think it's important, Fabiola, we start with this article itself. This is an international research consortium that was set up in pre-COVID times to respond to emerging severe respiratory infections. And it's because of this pre-existing infrastructure that um, on the 17th of January, 2020, um, in the UK, we were ready to open a prospective study uh, to collect data from adults hospitalized with COVID-19. This is regardless of HIV status. The study addressed um, anybody who was um, over the age 18 and above, um, so adults and uh, that was hospitalized with COVID-19. In March, 2020, um, prompted by the desire to determine the impact of HIV status on the outcomes of COVID-19, we submitted a proposal to the consortium to analyze the entire data set collected uh, by the consortium, spanning the period up to then um, what it it basically came to be June 2020. So we covered the first wave of the the UK pandemic. The aim of our study was to compare within the same data set uh, patients with and without HIV in terms of whether they were still alive 28 days after the initial presentation. Uh, We also looked at other uh, parameters, for instance, um, how they presented when they were hospitalized, uh, whether they required intensive care, whether they required ventilation, and so forth. Um, But the primary outcome was day 28 mortality. And I should say, uh, um, Fabiola and all listeners, that the study was a true team effort. Uh, Many clinicians contributed data from over 200 hospitals across England, Scotland and Wales. And many researchers from across the country came together to produce this analysis. You ask about the results. The results were striking. Something that was really uh, surprising was the fact that people with HIV who were in hospital with COVID-19 were so much younger than the group without HIV. The the median age of um, people with HIV hospitalized with COVID-19 was 56 years. Whereas uh, for the group without HIV, Um, uh, hospitalized with COVID-19, the median age was 74 years. So this was quite a striking difference. But the important analysis of course was the uh, primary endpoint analysis. So the one that looked at um, who was uh, alive uh, at day 28 after the initial presentation. When we did our uh, analysis, particularly when we took age into consideration in our adjusted analysis, we found that people with HIV had a 47% greater risk of mortality than people without HIV. And when we looked uh, just at the population that was aged below 60, then we found that the HIV status increased the risk of mortality by nearly threefold. So quite a significant uh, effect, a small effect, but significant. And I should add uh, that people with HIV who died uh, very often had other diagnoses, such as, for instance, Diabetes or obesity, um, other factors that can also increase the risk of mortality. However, the effect of HIV uh, status persisted when we took these additional diagnoses into consideration.
0: Thank you, Anna Maria. And um, looking at the data published, there is more and more signals coming through in that direction. But Obviously, and every study has its limitations, um, could you tell us the obvious limitations of the study that you published?
1: Yes, there are there are several limitations. Um, well, first of all, the number of people with HIV was 122 in this study, just short of 0.3% of the overall population. And this is in keeping with the size of the HIV um, epidemic in the UK, but nonetheless, it's a small number of uh, people with HIV in the study uh, overall. The other element which I think is really important to to highlight is that data collection within the study was done with a standardized data collection form. Uh, This was meant to serve the entire population and not to address HIV specifically. Um, And thus we did not really have a record of many HIV related parameters. So we had uh, um, the presence of antiretroviral therapy was recorded under concomitant medications. Uh, For example, this was not always completely accurate, uh, but we were able to determine that most uh, patients um, were indeed on antiretroviral therapy. Uh, But we did not have parameters such as CD4 count, HIV viral load, treatment history, the NADIR CD4 count, the CD4-CD8 ratio, and so forth. So, Parameters that are likely to modulate the outcomes of COVID 19 in people with HIV. And also important, I believe, we lacked data on socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you so much. But this was a UK based study. Okay, so if I could just move on to Paddy. Paddy, in March 2021, Scientific Reports published a systematic review and meta analysis. Could I ask you to? Tell us how your study came about and um, is it possible to summarize the findings of this study?
2: Thank you very much, Fabiola. Now that's a very excellent question. Our study came about the idea of developing our study around mid last year, around June last year. By then we had seen so many publications coming out uh, talking about the risk factors of dying from COVID-19. And we had had uh, many reports talking about comorbidities, uh, chronic conditions such as hypertension, uh, type 2 diabetes, uh, chronic kidney disease, and cancer, and all other different uh, conditions. So what we decided to do, we are like, in addition to what the you know the common chronic conditions that have been described, why don't we take an all approach mechanism where we look at all. Over 10 different chronic conditions, including HIV AIDS. So, what we did, we collected the data uh, from January 2020, I think up to June 2020, and we looked at all these different conditions in predicting or in showing any effect on COVID-19 outcomes. So by then, because we didn't have enough data, and actually that work was published in plus one. It's very highly cited right now. But by because we didn't have so many publications out yet, we had very few papers that were looking at HIV as a risk factor of COVID-19 mortality. So we're like, okay, let's wait. Let's just give it a time. So when it came to around December again. Uh, by then we had like one year of data from January to December of last year. We're like, let's revisit this topic because now so many papers, over 300 different publications talking about the topic of HIV and COVID-19 mortality. So we managed to identify 22 studies. Uh, Our search ended in December of last year, 22 studies peer reviewed uh, studies from four continents, including Europe, North America, Africa, and Asia. And that kind of helped us uh, by identifying all those different number of patients, over 20 million different patients included in this study, we are able to get enough power or to acquire enough statistical power to see the effect of HIV on COVID-19 mortality. So, coming down to the summary of the results, what we found was also quite striking, that among patients with HIV the risk of dying from COVID-19 is nearly 80% higher if you compare to patients who do not have HIV. Now that was quite striking, but also wanted to ask another question. How about the susceptibility of acquiring SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes uh, COVID-19? Is it higher also in patients with HIV? And yes, the answer is yes, we found that among patients with HIV, they had a 24% higher risk of acquiring uh, SARS-CoV-2, the virus, virus which causes COVID-19. Even though it's a um, small effect, but it's, it was a statistically a significant effect. So those were the major findings. Now, because we are limited in the number of studies, remember I told you how had 22 studies, uh, we, we also we failed to see a statistically significant effect of HIV on ICU admission and mechanical ventilation, although the numbers were were trending towards uh, a positive or a significant effect in patients with HIV compared to those without HIV. So those were the major findings in our study.
0: Thank you. You summarized it beautifully. And when I read the paper, I thought the numbers were striking. Again, um, though systematic review and meta-analysis gives us a better kind of you know, um, data around signals, what were the limitations of your study, Paddy?
2: What systematic reviews and meta-analyses do, their goal is to use advanced statistical methods to pull or to bring together all different studies, different what we call effect estimates of different studies. Now, although that is really good, uh, there are quite a number of limitations which I'm going to highlight perhaps the major ones. And the first one is what we call heterogeneity or in simple terms, variation of studies. Now, because we are including studies from all over the world, from Europe, from Africa, from Asia, and from North America, we introduce different variations in our estimates, the effect estimates, which could be either real, or it could be just because of the different populations, demographics of populations we are studying. And actually when you looked at um, the heterogeneity, this was quite high. And because we didn't have so many number of studies again by then, we couldn't do what we call a meta-regression. This is, a, you know, simple statistical methods like a linear regression, where you can tease out the factors which would be explaining why you're having such a high degree of heterogeneity. Number two, some of these fact- limitations, uh, Anna Maria talked about them. For example, we did not have specific information, which is critical in HIV population such as uh, CD4 counts, uh, viral loads, uh, and some different comorbidities in these different population. And I'll remember all our estimates are at a study level, not at a patient level. So it becomes a little bit difficult to, to acquire those specific covariates, which would actually have been very important in determining which groups, in, within even HIV population itself, which group is more likely to be affected. So that was the limitation, a major uh, limitation in meta analysis.
0: Thank you so much. And um, again, these limitations will persist with um, studies because, again, as Ana Maria said, rarely a study just collects data on HIV positive people. It'll be a COVID study, including a large cohort of people. But can I just ask you a technical question? I would like to know if you could explain to us um, what a sensitivity analysis is.
2: When we carry out these studies, when we carry out statistical methods to explain the effect we are seeing out of the data, we always, as scientists, have this question at the back of our mind we could be wrong. And so we decide to penalize ourselves in many ways. So, sensitivity analysis. These are methods of trying to reanalyze our data in many ways, sometimes even 10 different ways, trying to prove ourselves wrong. So then if you still see that signal, you're like, okay, we are good, we can publish this. And we are glad that uh, in our work, especially in Anna Maria's work, those sensitivity analysis were done and we still could see the effect of HIV on COVID-19 mortality.
0: Thank you so much. That was a really good way of explaining the statistical um, analysis that a lot of us read in our papers. So um, thank you both. And this leads us to the WHO report, the WHO global clinical platform, July 2021. And um, the way I understood it is that as of April 2021, 37 countries contributed data through a platform to WHO, and um, about uh, 270 cases of hospitalized uh, patient with suspected or confirmed COVID-19 were submitted. And of this global sample, 63% were women, and the age range was about 18 to 65 years. And uh, 24 countries contributed clinical data on people who live with HIV. Um, which made about uh, 9.2% of the global uh, sample, about 15,000 patients were people who lived lived with HIV. The data was mostly submitted from African countries um, and South Africa being the biggest contributor. And in the um, cohort where people were also infected with HIV, 37% were male and the mean age was 46, which is again comes back to what Ana Maria said, patients are younger. And a subgroup uh, submitted data on antiretroviral intake and in that subgroup, 92% were on antiretroviral medication. 36% of people who lived with HIV were admitted for severe and critical illness, and 23% of patients living with HIV in this cohort unfortunately died of COVID infection. And when they analysed the data, they tested whether HIV infection was independently associated with a higher risk of severe or critical presentation of COVID-19 at hospital admission, and found that people living with HIV were um, at statistically significantly increased risk of being admitted with severe and critical um, infection compared to the cohort that were HIV negative. And this was even after adjusting for age, sex and presence of underlying conditions. And then when they looked at the cohort where people were infected with HIV and checked for risk factors that rendered them to severe critical illness with COVID infection and hospital admission. Similar to your data, older age, so 65 and older, male gender, comorbidities such as diabetes and hypertension put patients at significantly higher risk. And again, this is after controlling for other risk factors. So in summary, HIV appears to be a significant independent risk factor for severe or critical illness at hospital admission, as well as hospital mortality. So obviously, the limitations of this data, as you both summarized um, you know is similar to yours in that the data showed heterogeneity there were missing data such as lack of info on antiretrovirals for the whole uh, cohort of patients who were infected with hiv and hiv surrogate markers as well as hiv infection duration so this is another larger study international study uh, that reports that hiv is an independent risk factor for uh, severe illness, hospitalisation and death. Um, so I think we need to kind of um, find a way forward. So Anna-Maria, where do we go from here with these results now available to us as clinicians and people who live with HIV? I
1: think, Fabiola, um, that the data are uh, telling us that despite effective antiretroviral therapy, in many cases, despite a normalized CD4 cell count, there is a subset of uh, people with HIV that continue to experience immunodysfunction and that this immunodysfunction may increase the risk of COVID-19 related uh, morbidity and mortality. Now, this persistent immunodysfunction may be a consequence of perhaps of advanced immunocompromised prior to the start of art. Um, This could be defined, for example, by a low nadir CD4 cell count, um, or perhaps there is persistent inflammation, as for instance, indicated also by an inverted CD4, CD8 ratio. And I think it's important to remember that, for instance, in the United Kingdom, in 2018, 43% of people newly diagnosed with HIV had a CD4 count below 350 which is a threshold indicative of significant immunosuppression. So many people experience a significant immunosuppression before they get diagnosed and they can start antiretroviral therapy. And once they start antiretroviral therapy, many will recover very good immunofunction for a subset. Uh, some degree of immunodysfunction will persist. And I would also like to link... This uh, comments to the effect of age, right? We're seeing older age in the population with HIV being, you know, a risk factor, as as highlighted. Well, I think that we need to remember that for older people with HIV. Even after diagnosis, they probably um, went on for several years before starting antiretroviral therapy. Because if you, I'm sure you remember, Fabiola, that um, there were thresholds that were applied, CD4 count thresholds that were applied uh, until quite recently, we could say. Uh, before uh, antiretroviral therapy was started. So many older people with HIV in the UK, in, you know, worldwide, will have experienced years of uncontrolled HIV replication before starting ART. And I think that is is the subset that has experienced a significant immunodysfunction and it's not that, really then the um, ability to fully recover immunofunction that perhaps is the group that we are looking as being vulnerable. As well as, of course, those that have you know, comorbidities that are enhanced by the presence of HIV. That, you know, The risk of many comorbidities is increasing people with HIV. And I think we are looking basically at a combined effect of all of this, uh, of these factors. And I know that there are many immunological studies now that are trying to confirm these hypotheses that I've just uh, illustrated. But you said, where do we go from here? I think at present, we should place emphasis on, uh, of course, early HIV diagnosis, uh, prompt initiation of antiretroviral therapy, but also optimize screening for and control of comorbidities, such as, for example, obesity and diabetes. These are all factors that will certainly help in reducing the risk of um, severe SARS-CoV-2 infection. Um, I, I would also like to add, Fabiola, that um, when we looked at the data in our study, we were looking at the first wave. Um, there was a high mortality. About 30% overall in our population died. Um, and there has been progress in the management of severe uh, COVID-19 on, you know, on hospitalized people with COVID-19. We use dexamethasone, we use anti-L6 receptor antibody therapy and so forth as established uh, treatments uh, that we know reduce mortality in people who are hospitalized. And it will be important to repeat the analysis we described um, just to see whether there is a persistent effect of HIV status. My suspicion is that there will probably be and that we need to uh, also be prepared to acknowledge that and be able to counsel our patients' those that may be vulnerable uh, you know, appropriately.
0: Thank you, that was a good way forward. And I'm just wondering if we know anything about the impact of the HIV virus on the long-term clinical outcomes of COVID. And if I can address Paddy with this question.
2: Thank you, Fabiola. There is still a lot we don't know about the, the way HIV and sars cov to interact, for example. Now that we know that HIV infection is an independent risk factor for severe acute COVID-19 infection, we need to study if and how HIV infection may contribute to the prevalence and characteristics of COVID-19 symptoms, the so-called long COVID. But the most important message right now is to prevent the infection altogether through vaccination and wear a mask.
0: Thank you so much. That really sums it up for me too. Okay, so I think we have come to the end of our podcast. And if I can summarize, keeping in mind that all three studies have their limitations and uh, they may report a small effect, we need to consider HIV infection as an independent risk factor for severe COVID infection. And therefore, Together, we need to focus on testing and treating HIV infections early. This includes remembering to exclude HIV when a patient is admitted for COVID infection, not interrupting HIV treatment when patients are admitted for COVID-19, proactively managing other comorbidities, and finally, and most importantly, keeping people out of hospital by providing easy and free access to COVID vaccines. So on behalf of the BMJSDI podcast team, I thank you, Anna Maria. And I thank you, Paddy, very much for your time and effort. On our blog, we will provide our listeners with links to the three publications discussed. And I thank all our listeners for their time and interest. And I hope you can follow the BMJSDI on Twitter and Facebook. Stay safe and goodbye.